0: Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking.
2: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, that face, that face, that lovable face, it melts my Swedish heart. I'm Jonathan Strickland.
1: I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And
2: I'm Joe McCormick. And I'm not supposed to be here for this episode. I was on vacation, but you guys actually decided to wait for me and let me talk about, about human appearances changing
3: over time, and it's so exciting to me! Well... We knew we were going to have to talk about what humans would look like in the future, and Jonathan, I think you are what humans are going to look like in the future. So <laughs> I am we so <laughs> sorry for all of humanity. <laughs> we couldn't really do it without you. I appreciate that.
2: No, I'm, I'm. I mean, the more I read up into your notes and read the the references and everything you guys had had really put together, I was really excited to hear this because uh, this is pretty fascinating stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and this is kind of part of our series. This originated as part of our series on what we don't see enough of in science fiction.
3: Right. Though you do see some of this. But, uh, yeah, if you project forward a little bit in science fiction, look a few thousand years into the future. Part of the problem is you've got aliens who look alien and then or unless alien- it's
2: Star Trek, in which case they look human.
3: Right. Or uh, yeah, slightly then, wrinkly. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. There's some sort of
2: ridge somewhere on their face,
3: <laughs> and you've got humans who look exactly like humans look whenever the m- movie was made.
2: Although you know, Patrick Stewart as Captain Jean Luc Picard. You know what? You might be onto something about I. They look the future looks like yeah,
3: me. He needs a goatee, but yeah,
2: yeah, and he needs to put on a few pounds. But other than that, yeah, no, oh. we wanted to. <laughs> I'm okay with it. No, we we uh, we really wanted to take a look at. What will, I mean, what, what's the prevailing, uh, thought about what human appearance is going to be? And as it turns out, it's a very tricky thing to talk about for multiple reasons.
3: Well, of course, you can't really predict, right? I mean, it's one of those things where uh, there's not a, uh, a clear projection that will be controlled by human behavior. Right. It's like, kind of a, it's kind of willy nilly and it's kind of random.
2: Right. There's not like a, 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 a simulation we can pull up where we just have a slider and we say, all right, let's just slide it forward 50,000 years. Oh, that's what we're going to look like. Right. Then. Three slide arms. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we wanted to kind of talk about some of the scholarship behind this and the thoughts behind this and really kind of d- dive into the, this topic and talk about some of the possibilities.
3: Right. So, just last year, there was actually a funny news story, and then a lot of back and forth between people in the media and the scientific community about this one particular article uh, that Forbes published.
1: Uh, right. It went pretty viral. It, they they published this this tech blog and or article and or content piece. I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what what category falls it fell in, into. Right. Um, it it was called "How the Human Face Might Look in a Hundred Thousand Years."
3: So this was June of last year. This was June of 2013, correct. Okay. And
1: uh, in it, Forbes staffer Parmie Olson reported on work that had been done by uh, by this digital artist named Nicolay Lamb in collaboration with a computational genomist named Dr. Alan Kwan.
2: I didn't even know a computational genomist was a, was a thing.
1: Me neither. Pretty awesome. Congratulations to that guy. Um, <laughs> and so... It, in their work, they speculated on what the face might look like in 20,000, 60,000, and a hundred thousand years. Okay,
2: so so what did they come up
3: with?
1: Well, y- you guys might have seen a picture of this somewhere. It it basically the furthest view out was this sort of anime character-looking thing. Right. Okay.
3: <laughs> Gigantic eyes.
1: Gigantic eyes, kind of weird, big forehead, uh, and
3: yeah, now uh, so
2: far, sounding like me. <laughs> <laughs> No, my eyes are not gigantic. I do, have we- I, do, I do have the weird big forehead, though. That's okay.
1: So, so their predictions fall into into a few broad categories. Okay, they they suggested that the forehead will get longer and wider to accommodate a larger brain.
3: Okay, we'll mm. talk
1: more about this way at the end of the podcast. Um, that the eyes will get larger, approaching and I quote unnervingly large.
2: <laughs> this this is what we call Disney princess large.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> as as we adapt to dimmer off Earth environments, okay. and as
3: we become more innocent. <laughs>
1: Right. Um, That our nostrils will get larger and our hair denser to help with breathing and heat retention off-world.
2: I hope the timeline on this is really accelerated because that (laughs) hair density thing is very, very pertinent to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, That our skin will get darker to help combat uh, UV radiation outside of Earth's ozone. Okay. Okay. That we'll ditch wearable tech for subtle implants, okay? Um, and that perhaps most importantly, genetic manipulation will render natural evolution moot, um, likely resulting in increasingly normal human features with an emphasis on on symmetry and the golden ratio and that kind of ideal right. of, of human. And normal,
3: theory. yeah, normal and ideal there being in quotation marks. It really
1: heavy quotation marks in case you can't tell my sarcasm voice, which I am told sometimes sounds a lot like. My- like my normal
2: (laughs) (laughs) well yeah no the the, exactly because normal i mean who defines what normal is in this case and this they're specifically looking at these these uh uh, ideals which have been held up as ideals only by certain types certain cultures um so yeah you got to take that with a grain of salt
3: yeah another thing to note is that they're not suggesting that this is how humans will grow to look because of say natural selection they're saying that this is how we will basically decide. to
2: we'll engineer
3: ourselves. That we will
1: choose features. And, you know, so Gattaca-esque, everyone will end up looking like Jude Law.
2: Well, I'm OK with that, too. Actually, but, me me as well. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, it, pretty man. But anyway, the uh, the what I was going to go into here is that uh some of this kind of makes sense from sort of a, a, a top level approach. Right. The idea that if we are to go colonize other planets there will likely be uh, uh situations there that will be different enough from what we have here at earth that we would need some form of adaptation to be able to thrive on said planet and so while it might not be uh, uh efficacious for us to wait for evolution to take hold so that whichever humans survive that initial colonization end up producing generation upon generation upon generation uh, you know, multiply that out 10,000 times till you get to a, a group of human beings or what used to be human beings who are ideally suited for that planet. It makes more sense that we would be taking an approach where we're we're making those choices consciously.
3: Well, <laughs> I mean, these days in the ideal scenario, we do all we can to prevent natural selection <laughs> from happening to humans. <laughs> Pretty so, frequently. Yeah. Yeah. I had a joke, but I'm going to leave it on this case. You can, You can thank me later. OK. All right. Uh, So an observation I had about their predictions is that if you just take them as like these are some kind of fun, interesting guesses, I I think they are interesting. Oh, totally. That's cool to go with. Uh, But there's sort of the question of like at what level are these being pitched? Are they just saying here are some interesting suggestions or are they saying we've got a pretty good idea what humans are going to look like? And I think that. Exact distinction was embodied in a lot of the responses. Oh
1: yeah, because there is this whole flurry of response on the internet. Do, do you guys do you believe that the internet took something way more seriously than they perhaps should have and yeah. blew it out of proportion? <laughs> um, I'm sorry, that's I, my sarcasm voice is strong today. Um, <laughs> and, and and I do want to point out here that that Nicole Lamb is is the guy who created that average Barbie doll that also went viral in 2013. Um, if, if you remember the the side by side photos of right. a of a of a store-bought Barbie with a Barbie who is shaped more or less like a human person. Right, um, right. Uh, yeah, he's that guy. He also is behind the Lamely doll line, which he kickstarted in 2014 to, to work towards producing realistic-shaped dolls for kids. Because, okay, a thing to keep in mind about Lamb's work is that he's really savvy about producing stuff that will capture the public's imagination and click-throughs.
2: So, in other words, like, this could be something where uh he, he imagines a scenario and then and then frames it in such a way that it's compelling enough for people to look at participate in a discussion about but doesn't ne- necessarily indicate any kind of expertise necessarily that or or scholarship that went into the the ultimate uh design or, I, or 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 guess
1: i i think very much that um that you know that that he and the the other fellow quan were Trying to make an interesting thing, right. perhaps yeah. more so than an extraordinarily accurate future prediction. Well,
2: and, sure. and and one other thing I would point out, and some of the other discussions we're going to to chat about will sort of fall into this as well, is that while we could go the engineering route to try and take tackle some of these these issues. Another thing we could try besides, you know, altering ourselves is altering the environment we're going into. And therefore, you wouldn't have that environmental requirement to (laughs) adapt we right. could adapt the environment, which is pretty much what humans have been doing for the last couple hundred years. Yeah.
3: Typically, we don't biologically adapt to our environments anymore. We adapt the environments or we technologically adapt. Uh, right.
1: Right. Right. You don't need crazy anime eyes if you have lamps. Right. <laughs> so... Right.
2: That's a good point. But, so in but, other words, are you no, telling no, no, me Jonathan... that pitch dark couldn't ha- or is it pitch black? Pitch, pitch black. black. <laughs> that pitch black couldn't happen because... Because you know that's a that's actually a good Vin Diesel movie, and you're going to destroy <laughs> one of the few
3: good Vin I'm, Diesel. movies. I'm not going
1: to take Pitch Black away from us. All right,
3: thank uh, you. I think the thinking is that huge anime eyes would help protect the environment because you wouldn't need to use as much energy <laughs> on lamps. Or oh. in situations where energy is scarce, Actually, I'm
1: pretty this, sure this that could solve our energy problem. I, I don't guys. know. I'm so. pretty
3: sure, and I know you're
2: you're you're making a joke, but I have to be the the, the jerk who, who who comments on this. I'm pretty sure by the time we're colonizing other worlds, we've kind of nailed the energy problem because that would necessitate us being able to get to said other world
1: yeah but off world is always like the like the crazy wild west
3: <laughs> yeah but, we always but, have to but be... with fusion reactors <laughs> Yeah. okay lauren you mentioned a couple of the people who responded to this original article and the illustrations that these people did uh, what what were some of the responses
1: uh yeah, they were interesting and and we're, we're talking a lot about this particular this particular prediction because uh the conversation that it generated really was fascinating, even if it was blown out of proportion. So George Dvorsky for io9 uh, thought that Lamb and Quan's ideas actually didn't go far enough. Uh, he suggested that they should have taken into deeper account the possibility of uh, technological additions and innovations to human biology, including the idea that we might be totally cyborgs or have uploaded <laughs> our consciousness or be controlling robotic avatars from a distance. He, he didn't really comment on the idea that humans might want to stay human looking, which, which is, is
3: that's something I want to talk about in a bit here. But yeah. we can save that. Yeah. Sure.
2: I got, I've got some stuff. I think Joe and I are going to throw down in that,
3: in that part of the conversation. I hope oh, so. Okay. Yeah. All right.
1: Just keep the fight on that side of All right. the
3: table. There was a, uh, actually another writer for Forbes responded though. Huh.
1: Yeah. Uh, Matthew Herper wrote a fairly snippy response entitled, and I quote, no, this is not how the human face might look in a hundred thousand years. Um. <laughs> In it, he, he suggests that the, the genetic engineering that Quan and Lam hypothesized about is going to be taking place much sooner um, and also points out that 100,000 years is only about half the time that Homo sapiens have existed as such. You know, that, that this uh, is... Anatomically modern. Right, 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 right. That this is basically minus, you know, grooming and a little bit of skull size difference. This is how we've looked for that long. So So, you know, A, it's unlikely that major facial changes will happen in so short an evolutionary period of time, mm-hmm. and and B, that it's impossible to say what tastes and trends will be like in the future. So therefore, guessing what features we as as geneticists and or consumers are going to select in the future is just pure sci-fi speculation.
2: Right. I mean, for one thing, we cannot anticipate what a generation that's 500 years removed from our own is going to perceive as being uh, desirable or
1: attractive. Jumpsuits. All right. Nothing but jumpsuits. I mean,
2: Fallout has taught us many things, but <laughs> no, but but seriously, we don't we can't predict what people are going to find attractive uh, about the human form in one right. way or another. And that's part of what will really go into our discussion a little bit later, too. Uh, but so so, yeah, it's really difficult to suggest that also, as far as this this genetic engineering thing about how it's going to happen much sooner uh, that one I'm really curious about because I, I foresee there's gonna be a lot of resistance on that front
3: from, oh, yeah. for a long time, uh, for, for, for various reasons including ethics, so. Right, you're saying it's not just that the, we might not have the technological expertise to do it, but that there might be reasons not to do there it.
2: There will be cultural and social taboos against genetic engineering, at least in certain parts of the world, for a good long time is my guess. Uh, That's a guess because we don't have enough right now to really say one way or the other. But just based upon the reactions we've seen to basic uh, foundation research that would lead maybe one day to genetic engineering, we've already seen examples of people really kind of putting up barriers.
1: Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I I think and I think that a few of these nice people brought this Mm -hmm. up um, that. If we're going to do genetic engineering, we're probably not going to be piddling around with eye color. We're going to be, say, like wiping out really terrible diseases, yeah, sure, and stuff like that first, and right. <laughs> then maybe after that, like you know, my nose is a little bit big. I'd like to give my daughter a smaller nose. Is that possible? Yeah, uh, I mean, stuff like that.
2: Yeah. I, I've got more to say about that in the next se- setting too, just because just because human history is filled with people altering themselves. Oh
1: sure, so, I mean my hair is blue right now, so so, <laughs> so I, I totally get that. But I wouldn't want to be born with blue hair. I'm not sure anyway. So uh, there was a response actually to Herper's response. In oh, okay, Forbes. so a response
2: to the response.
1: Yes, Quan uh, actually wrote him this really sick burn email. That
3: was the computational was, genomist mm-hmm, yeah. who
1: worked on the original. Uh, hypothesis here right and and in in which kwan said and i think this sums up his i mean it was a really long email so i'm just going to quote part of it but mm-hmm. i think it sums up his overall argument really well okay so here we go the operative word might as in this is what the human face might look like in a hundred thousand years makes the statement an existential statement which means that there is a non-zero possibility that a given event may occur Given that we agree that no one can make an absolute statement about the future, by the same token, you cannot claim to know the negation of an existential statement. This is not how a face might look like or its equivalent. There is no chance that the human face will look like this.
2: All right. But I see this other thing in our notes here. This is kind of interesting to me. Uh, The question about whether or not we will be taller. Yeah.
3: Yeah. This is something that I think has often sort of been imagined. It might be that we will get taller in the future. Or
1: that we are currently very tall compared to our ancestors, which, I mean, if you've ever been in an old house. It's... Yeah. Yeah. It, or
2: a castle. I de- just I just walked around a few castles and uh, there were times where I had to duck my head and I am not a tall person.
3: Well, it depends on which ancestors, it turns out. And that's mm. going to come into something. But um, So, yeah, th- there's this question. Have we grown taller than we used to be as a species? And will we continue to grow taller as time goes on? So I want to start with one fact. A March 2014 paper in the Oxford Economic Journals found that from the mid-1800s to 1980, the average height of European adult males grew 11 centimeters. That's about 4.3 inches.
1: That is significant.
3: Wait, that was in the Oxford Economic Journals? Was it based upon how expensive
2: it is to build higher
3: doorways? <laughs> no, it turns out actually studying human height uh, factors into economic papers a lot. Oh, because, interesting. Uh, it may reflect certain economic conditions oh, in society. like mm. food little,
1: sources. A little yeah.
3: bit of a spoiler but for how this <laughs> discussion is going to turn out. But there was also this other thing I found online that was funny. It was, quote, a living bar graph. So it was a comparison of height distribution Among students at Connecticut State Agricultural College comparing photos taken in 1914 and then 1997. So they, they had different, uh, bars basically with like a, uh, you know, five foot two, five foot three. Mm -hmm. And then they'd have the students who measured those heights line up behind each bar. So you'd get a bar graph made out of actual humans Uh, in the photo. Okay. Gotcha. And you can see over time that the distribution of male students goes up. So the average height of the male students was 67.3 inches in 1914, and that increased to 70.1 inches in 1997. That's a difference of 2.8 inches or 7.1 centimeters in just 83 years. Now, of course, there may be some self-selection in this because uh, the Connecticut State Agricultural College started offering scholarship packages to taller students in the 1950s. That, That
2: was just tough. I mean... You know, if you were, if you were below average height, you got the short end of the stick on that one. Wah,
3: wah. Okay, that oh, no. was totally a joke. They did yes, not that... <laughs> offer scholarship packages to taller students. No, the students actually mine, mine
2: wasn't a joke because to be a joke, you have to be funny first.
1: Wah,
3: wah, wah. Okay, so they the student the male mm-hmm. students actually did get taller on average. Um, so there are more comparisons of average male height over time than average female height. For example, the living bar graph from Connecticut, there are no women in the nineteen fourteen photo. The women in the nineteen ninety-seven photo average sixty-four point eight inches. But don't worry, in another eighty-three years we'll be
2: able to compare both men and women. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> so so uh,
3: can we get a can we get a more general estimate? Like, does this apply to women too? Yeah, it seems like it. So uh, in a nineteen ninety-eight guest article for Scientific American, the biologist Michael J. Doherty claimed that the average height of humans in industrialized countries had grown by about 10 centimeters or four inches over the past century and a half.
2: OK, well, let me ask you this, Joe. Does this mean that we as a species are evolving rapidly to become like the next
3: generation of NBA players? Is that what this is all about? Sadly, no. Uh, so what scientists have discovered is that they think we are not evolving to grow taller. And there are a bunch of reasons for for thinking this. Number one is that it hasn't been a steady progression of much shorter people long ago to much taller people now. Mm. Instead, if we study history it seems to be inconsistent. People get taller, and then they get shorter, and then they get taller again.
2: Are there any correlating effects that seem to go
3: along with this taller, shorter, taller thing?
1: Which perhaps we may have alluded to uh,
3: just a moment ago.
2: Spoiling this part of the podcast. (laughs) So, yeah,
3: we observe around the world and in recent history that generations of children who suffer poor nutrition in early development remain shorter as adults. And when economic conditions improve and the next generation receives better food, Those children tend to grow up to be taller adults Mm -hmm. is what we seem to observe. Uh, There's this study called uh, anthropometric history, and that's the study of historical trends in human height. In the past couple of decades, people in this field have largely used the historical distribution in human height to study environmental and economic conditions, not population genetics.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Uh,
3: and finally, that as far as we can tell, we sort of seem to have leveled off. So while these increases in average height can be charted over the past century and a half, we're a lot taller on average than we were 150 years ago, people in industrialized nations aren't really getting much taller anymore. We we seem to have kind of hit the max.
2: Oh, OK. Well, you know, uh, that's all right. I wasn't expecting to grow any taller than I already have. Figured that I my growth spurts were behind me every day to be a little taller, to be a little bit taller. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> we should we should put a little mark on the wall <laughs> and just have it being Lauren's height. And Does we it... just have her stand under it every day. We take another picture. We'll <laughs> test the power of wishing. That's... <laughs> <laughs> it's a scientific
3: experiment. It
1: sounds like testing the power of how tall the heels I can wear. Are.
3: <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK. How about brains? Huge, oh, right. huge brains. Yep. Part
1: of that, that facial features guesstimation was was the forehead will grow because our brains will get bigger. <laughs> right.
2: So therefore, we'll need more space in our, our heads right. to if, hold those those big old brains of ours. Have you ever seen a movie called This Islander? Yes, I have. You're I
1: talking have about not. the uh,
3: right. aliens with the enormous brains. Like, which are, and
1: the like veiny well, skulls. Yeah.
3: Two, two different kinds. Two different kinds, Lauren. Let me right. parse it for you. Oh, okay. You. First, Sorry. you had the regular <laughs> human-looking aliens. They just you, have hilarious. Human-looking is being generous Okay, they have hilariously huge foreheads like right. uh you just had to cram an extra brain in there so they made the skull bigger so which a little, is why, a little bit
1: headish.
2: yeah it's, almost it, it's why the mst3k version of it has one of the characters one of the robots just every time the the alien leader has aligned to the humans and he's posing as a human is you just hear one of the robots say but i'm not an alien <laughs>
3: But then later in the movie, you get an alien, this brain mutant. So it's just got a huge bulging brain, and that's basically its head. And like it's crab just a, an exposed mm. giant brain with goggles. Is that what we're going to be? Because obviously we want our we want our brains to get more powerful. If we're thinking that we're going to continue to upgrade our intelligence, if we can genetically engineer ourselves to be smarter – that's gotta mean we're gonna have gigantoid brains, right? Well, first uh, of all, let's no. let's
2: let's look back at history, right? We need to look back at, at our our ancestors and the and the and the predecessors to the humans. Uh, right. Sure,
1: and it's certainly true that he, that human brains or, or, or hominid brains, at the very least, have gotten much bigger over the past, say, two to three million years.
2: Yeah,
3: that's right. So our brains have more than doubled in size since more than more than two two and a half million years ago, but does that necessarily mean that size is directly correlated with intelligence? There are some correlations, but it's not a totally direct correlation.
1: Oh, right. It's not one-to-one, certainly.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, there there are some studies that
2: show that, that brain size and intelligence are not so closely correlated that, you know, you would say, oh, this person has a larger brain, therefore they are automatically smarter than this other person.
3: Right. So one example I'd like to give is that, on average, men have slightly bigger brains than women. But don't take this and run with it, you woman-hating jerks. (laughs) That does not mean men are smarter than women. In fact, men are not measurably smarter than women. Uh, It seems that, for example, one one thing explaining part of this is that women have more densely crowded neurons in some parts of the brain, the cerebral cortex. Uh, Women may have up to 12% more neurons in the cortex than men. And then there is the fact that it's actually the brain to body mass ratio that is a little bit more predictive of intelligence. But even then, you have some variation with that. Uh, that.
1: Sure. Well, like like an elephant's brain can weigh four times that of a human's um, and they. As far as I know, don't do many of the complex things that we do. If they do, they're really good at hiding it. Um, no, they—they—they they, they need those those big brains to control their huge muscle blocks.
2: Mm. Well, that makes sense.
1: Um, there's there's also okay. So within the human species itself. The the largest Homo sapiens brains on record belong to the Cro Magnons, which were a subset of early modern humans who lived some twenty thousand to forty thousand years ago. And and some people theorize that they needed those bigger skulls, uh, not to you know do computational science, but but rather to chew their less refined food, or you know simply having a thick skull to like survive infancy was mm. really useful. Yeah. I don't
2: know. They might have been calculating how long it would take them to chew that food.
1: It's possible. It's you know we can't. I don't don't know. I've never asked one.
3: (laughs) I want to throw an even bigger wrench into this and say, okay, so we've established that it's not necessarily just a a brain size issue. Brain size is correlated to intelligence, but it's not a one-to-one thing. But this is the craziest thing: our brains may not even right now be the biggest they've ever been. Modern humans, we should probably say, are the most intellectually advanced species as far as we know. I
2: mean, but right, the the most intellectually advanced
3: ones that we've encountered, at any right, rate, and mm-hmm. not including dolphins,
1: and 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 certainly for smarter overall than Cro Magnons,
3: probably, yeah, 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 most likely. But what if our brains had been bigger than they are now?
1: Uh, yeah, there is evidence that they have been shrinking. Recently, Uh, according to paleoanthropologist John Hawks in this really great Discover Magazine article, um, over the past 20,000 years, the average volume of the human male brain has decreased from about uh, 1,500 cubic centimeters to about 1,350. And that's okay, conversions are awkward from metric to imperial. That's like Six and a third cups of brain to about five and two third cups of brain or like three point two pints to two point eight five pints. It's, it's it's a chunk about the size of a tennis ball. Didn't um, need it. And, and 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 women's brains, for the record, have have shrunk proportionally as well.
3: So wait a minute. How are they explaining this? Are, are we getting dumber than we used to be?
1: Um. Well, okay, so so they
3: tread carefully.
1: Ha, different paleontologists and anthropologists have different theories about why and how and the exact effect that this is having on on humans as a society. Um, the first is that yeah, we're getting dumber. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and 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 so you the
3: Cro were not less intelligent. Yeah,
1: I, I either due to something like have you guys seen Idiocracy? Um, yes. Yeah, just just the lowest common denominator becoming the greatest denominator. Right. Um, uh, And or that as a society, you know, being a society means that we don't have to be so smart to stay alive.
2: Individually, there is not as much of an imperative for intelligence because collectively we're able to handle so much. Right. Hmm.
1: Right. Um, uh, Another theory put forth is that our brains are getting more efficient, um, both more agile and also more energy efficient, allowing us to concentrate less on food and more on playing really awesome guitar riffs.
3: Well, yeah,
1: sure. Um, Or perhaps that we've domesticated ourselves. Um, A a marker of tame animals after many generations is a smaller brain size.
2: Which, again, Uh, kind of goes back into that idea of they don't need as large a brain because they don't have they don't have to rely so much on survival skills mm -hmm. because they got a big old dumb human taking care of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Um, Or uh, finally, that our changing diet means that our food is so much easier to eat that our skulls don't need to be as big for us to chew it. And also, I mean, I, I don't think that we mentioned this before, but a definite uh, impediment to, you know, ludicrously large, unnervingly large brains is that uh, the human birth canal is not getting proportionately larger anytime soon, I don't think. I mean, like yeah. like it, it would require... The birth canal to get larger, or, or human hips to
3: get larger. Well, by that time, we'll all be born in artificial wombs.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, like the Matrix. We'll just be in right. little pods. Yeah. Okay, so I think by that time,
2: solved. we're actually gotten to the point where our brains are just in jars. And so then you'll be uh, bragging to everyone else about how big your jar is.
3: Okay. <laughs> yeah. I want to switch to a different topic.
2: Okay, please do.
3: Are we going to become the Borg? Uh, because... This is what everybody imagines, right? So we're heading towards the singularity. We're going to start incorporating more technology into our brains, into our bodies to supplement all the things we can't do with these weak, puny little muscles and the gray matter up here. Why not just cram computers into our skin so we'll have little wires and circuit boards popping out everywhere? I I feel like this sort of ties into Dvorsky's comment on the, the first the first article we were talking uh, about. Yeah, yeah. I he, mean, he seemed to think we weren't going far enough. Yeah, right?
1: I mean, I mean, if I could replace one eye with little blinking LEDs that say something clever in Morse code, I, I probably would today.
3: Okay, there you go. I, all right, well,
2: <laughs> Joe, I want to hear, I want to hear your your point of view on this because then I want to uh, to engage in a discussion <laughs> about this because I have I have some thoughts of my own.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, I kind of doubt that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Because, of course, human culture and what we find attractive is it's adaptable. We know to some extent. We don't know to what extent. And I would guess, based on my affinity for something called the biophilia hypothesis, that we probably aren't going to want ourselves to look too... Computery and machine-y. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, th-
1: that hypothesis is the E.O. Wilson one, right?
3: Yeah, so this is put forth by E.O. Wilson. There have been a lot of people who have written about it, and the biophilia hypothesis is what it sounds like. It's the idea that living organisms like humans have an inherent, deeply instinctual affinity for other living organisms and living systems, so that we are always going to prefer... <laughs> organic life to artifactual synthetic types of objects mm-hmm. and that humans you, you'd you always prefer a forest to a room with concrete walls and okay. that, that and that that goes deep it's not just sort of a cultural institution like oh yeah you know forests are nice because i learned that when i was a kid uh-huh. it's it's part of the animal that we are to prefer those things that that's sort of, I mean, it's still a hypothesis, of right. course. That's not something that's proven to be true, but that it seems to ring true to me. Interesting. So, uh and, uh and of course, sorry to complete the thought. Sure. How this would apply to humans would be to say that, no, maybe our, our cultural appreciation for what humans should look like, it can change, but it doesn't go that far. It doesn't <laughs> go to the point where we want humans to stop looking organic.
1: Uh Sure. Like, you know, taking it back to the Borg kind of reference, there's probably a reason that the Borg were these horrifying <clears throat> villains and not really the good guys, uh, until we got a sexy lady Borg who was <laughs> okay to be one of the good guys because we had taken most of that weird computer stuff off of her well, face.
2: Well, and there's some things, and we've, we've referenced some of this earlier, there's some things that uh, if you were to change them about the human face, they do, for most people... Uh, uh, elicit a sense of uh, unease or even horror I mean, we've seen that in, uh, used to great effect in horror movies where you often have um, villainous Human characters, or quasi-human, in the case of some of these, because they they're, they have appear to have some sort of supernatural they're element. Mutants. to mutants, right? Yeah. But they they often have faces that are asymmetrical, or you will end up uh, creating a sense of horror by taking a person's face and then suddenly distorting it in some way. Uh, there's the scene in in The Ring, where it's a very quick flash of a person whose face has been distorted, so like their nose has been misplaced, their eyes get a little out of alignment, and it does create a, a really really shocking sense of, of unease among a very wide audience. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just one of those kind of reactions.
1: Uh-huh. And, and quick, uh, quick sidetrack on that one. I think that that's what uh, uh, Lamb and Quan were talking about with the golden rule and, right. and symmetry because mm-hmm. uh,
3: You mean the golden ratio?
1: The golden ratio. <laughs> I totally said the <laughs> golden rule, Do unto your face that.
3: as you would have other faces do <laughs> unto you. I live by that rule.
1: Yes, the golden <laughs> ratio. Thank you, Joe. Um, but, uh, yes, and because um, one of the the markers of, of beauty and and i mean of course beauty is in the eye of the beholder and all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff but no it's it's also scientific um that that a symmetrical face is considered beautiful
2: well a, hmm. a couple of things i wanted to to say one of them is actually in the notes which is that uh they the any sort of technological enhancements do not ne- necessarily mean we are going to have great cosmetic changes in a person's appearance
3: right that's one thing i predicted is that well it seems pretty obvious that if we can give you, if we can upgrade your brain with computers, we can probably do it in a way that's not going to be too visually obtrusive.
2: Right. Uh, there might be some that people choose to have, like you. You were talking about an LED light that blinks out Morse code in in place of an eye, Lauren. Well, but that,
1: that that was just a Patrick Stewart Borg reference. But, but. even
2: so, even though that's that's a, a a joking reference, I could easily see technological enhancements or body modification. Being something that gets embraced by perhaps at first a a, a counterculture, yeah, a subculture, but then get embraced by a larger culture. And the reason why I feel pretty confident about that is that human history is filled with examples of people undergoing various types of body modification in pursuit of some sort of perceived beauty that was supported by that culture. There were a lot of different reasons. For something to be seen as beautiful, depending upon the culture. For example, there's the foot binding in Chinese culture, which was in part seen as a, a, you know, the ideal of, of female beauty was to have that lotus foot. It was also in part as a means of subjugating women. So it's all, you know, culturally tied up. It's not just like this is what we consider to be beautiful. Very
1: complex. It's very
2: complex. Exactly. But the fact that we've seen things like piercings and tattoos become more more accepted in a Western culture over the last. I mean, even in my lifetime, I've seen that. The fact that I have a shaved head and that is considered to be culturally Fine in, in America. That has changed. When I first started doing it, uh, it was before you saw it pretty frequently. And mm-hmm. so... I don't know if guys just were holding on to their hair more back then, but I, I frequently encountered people who had not really talked to anyone who had ever shaved their head. Wow. It was it was really an unusual experience for them. So I had a lot of people asking if they could touch my head. Thankfully, that part of my life is behind me, <laughs> I guess, because now we've hit a kind of, uh, uh, you know, saturation, saturation point. point of bald guys, particularly the bald guys with goatee Heisenberg appearance. <laughs> so uh, at any rate, we've seen changes, like changes in ideas of beauty and modification happen over the past. So I don't think that we will necessarily see a future where this sort of thing isn't embraced. And perhaps at first, it'll be a very niche cultural kind of thing. But I don't necessarily think that we're going to have uh, people avoiding it forever, either. Uh, It may be that humans 60,000 years into the future look extremely different because they have modified themselves in numerous ways. I mean, I can imagine being able to give yourself like el- electrically glittery skin or that kind of thing. You know, it's, it, it's, it's definitely in that realm of science fiction, you know, kind of anime style in a way.
3: But I don't think it's necessarily beyond uh, believability. I think the prime time to introduce glittery skin body mods would have been, uh, you know, five or six years ago, whenever it was Twilight got
2: big. <laughs> really, it would have been in the uh, mid 1970s with was, David
3: Bowie yeah. <laughs> and Glamrock. Yeah. Okay.
1: Either way, roller skates are going to be really necessary with that.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I want to offer another uh, concession to what you say is mm-hmm. that we may adapt to it. I've I thought also that getting all borged out could in the future become an example of a kind of performative consumption right so if it if it costs money to get cybernetic implants and things like it's this it's a status symbol exactly it could be the future's equivalent of wearing expensive jewelry and driving flashy sports cars you you advertise your financial value by gluing computer parts to your face and so, all this. So you might even have people faking it, like they don't actually have cybernetic implants. <laughs> They're just sticking stuff on their body. So, so
2: this would be an intermediary step from the brains in the jars, and my jar is bigger than your jar, yeah, is what you're yeah. saying. it
3: could be. And my this... facial
1: implant is bigger than your facial <laughs> right?
3: implant. Yeah. If this were the case, it'd sort of be a question of competition between the need to show your value and this desire to fill the natural biophilia, if that, in fact, is... is true Uh,
2: you know i think again i I can totally understand people saying that this hypothesis rings true this biophilia hypothesis Uh, certainly uh, there are plenty of examples if we just look at our fiction of that being true where you either have the perfect hero and the disfigured villain or you have the disfigured hero who whom everyone treats as a villain unfairly do Until, simply because of their their appearance, yeah. but then it's revealed that the this person is actually beautiful on the inside, and it becomes you know an a object lesson for for the reader. A quasi-moto mm-hmm. issue, yeah. yeah, exactly. So there there's plenty of examples just in human experience that support this hypothesis. Obviously, that's not you know enough from a scientific perspective. It's merely anecdotal, but it's anecdotal supported by at least in Western culture. Hundreds of years of literature and and in uh, and, and theater and that sort of thing.
3: Well, and there are actual scientists debating this topic. Sure, it's not right. just pure speculation. Right,
2: right. No, I'm just saying that you know we can't we don't have the scientific uh, uh, you know uh, consensus on this yet. Yeah, but there seems to be quite a bit of support from other parts of the human experience.
3: Or, you know, the other thing we could say is that even if it is a deeply rooted, deeply instinctual genetic predisposition we have to prefer things that look living versus things that look artificial today, maybe we'll evolve. That could be a thing that we change about ourselves. So (laughs)
2: at any rate, this has really been a very interesting discussion. I mean, it's. It is something that's interesting to think about. Like, what are people going to look like in the future? Will we, and we've got plenty of ex, of examples in science fiction of the idea of cosmetic surgery gone run amok where people have, have taken the, what we consider to be, uh, either the ideal or examples of outliers of cosmetic surgery today. And then they just multiply that by a hundred mm-hmm. so that we get these truly, at least to us, outrageous examples of, of modification that who knows. Perhaps in, uh, in, in several thousand years, these things that seem completely extreme and ludicrous to us might not seem Might that way in the future the I mean, it yeah. may very well be that these things that we think are absurd now are just the norm yeah so uh, ultimately when it comes down to what are humans going to look like in the future we have to say we do not know yeah. there is there's is no mean there's no way of predicting it because so many different factors are uh come into play when it comes to human appearance and uh, human preference is one of those and that changes from generation to generation so, or minute to minute or minute to minute yeah, it just takes me back to college. So anyway, guys, uh, I think this was a, a a fun topic. It was not something that we would normally tackle, right? It was a little bit outside of it. And uh, But I love that it's also in that kind of things that are not always addressed in science fiction realm. And I love that we're doing these sort of topics. So you guys, if you enjoy these topics, make sure you get in touch with us. Let us know what you like. Uh, let us know if there are any topics specifically that you think we have to tackle. You know, why is it in science fiction films you never see X? And um, I'm sure we're going to get some interesting examples, and I, I can't wait to read them. So let us know on Twitter, on Facebook, or Google+. You can find us with the handle FWThinking, and we will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit ForwardThinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Ah, ski slopes. Let's
3: do it. Um,
0: tenor a girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you.